Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Diagnostic Dog's Breakfast, an interview with Olivia Nicholas. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, today we have another international guest, uh, a guest from Australia. And I love interviewing folks from other countries, especially countries like Australia, where, of course, they have an official policy that Lyme disease does not exist. Uh, but I also enjoy doing these interviews because we get to learn more about other cultures and how they would describe the challenges that people with Lyme disease face. And we don't have a phrase like a dog's breakfast the way they do in Australia, which means, of course, you know, not in order or a shambles or, you know, it's sort of a, a little bit of everything. And I thought that would be a really good way of describing Olivia's experience based on the interview we did with her. Rich, one of the things that really stood out for me for Olivia was that she was sick for over 10 years, her entire childhood with Lyme disease. She also got reinfected again a second time during this 10-year window, and she exhibited all of the classic Lyme-related symptoms, like she had Hashimoto's, autoimmune problems, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and even toxic mold syndrome, but it still took her over 10 years to get a proper Lyme disease diagnosis. So Matt, I do think a diagnostic dog's breakfast is a proper way of describing this. And we appreciate our friends from Australia from having a saying or a quote that would be consistent with what we've seen from many other Lyme disease patients. So without further ado, Matt, I want to introduce to our audience, Olivia Nicholas. Hi, Olivia, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. And we're blessed to have you. So Olivia, can you share with our listeners where you are calling in from? Uh, yeah, I'm calling from Australia. I'm Western Australia and I live in Perth. And Olivia, are you, um, are you currently employed? Um, not at the moment. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And so let's talk about your, your family situation. Yep. I understand that you are, you are a mom of a small child. Yep. So I have a two-year-old boy. And you're a full-time, full-time mom for a two-year-old son. Yeah. And prior to having that calling, uh, what did you do? Uh, I did all sorts of things since I left school. Um, I was, I worked in admin for a little while and then I studied personal training. Uh, I wanted to be a personal trainer for a little while. And then I decided to actually change and become a regional flight attendant, which was really out of the blue. Um, so yeah, I did that for about a year and then I had to stop that because I started getting ear, ear aches and yeah, I just couldn't fly anymore. Um, so after that, I went into admin in real estate and then I fell pregnant. So yeah. So uh, Olivia, what, what is the educational system in Australia and how much of it did you complete? Um, I completed all of um, the school system so we do up to year 12 um, yeah and I graduated year 12 um, I didn't go to university um, I just studied um, while I was in school I studied nursing like while I was at school and then I studied yeah um, personal training once I'd left and I did a certificate in business as well now did you spend um, most of your life in Perth in Western Australia most of my life, yes. I was born in Victoria, which um, people probably know better than Western Australia. Um, it's on the eastern side of Australia. Um, I spent five years there and then I travelled back and forward probably twice a year to see my dad because he lived there. 
Um, and I, yeah, I lived here with my mum and my sister. Um, and other than that, yeah, I've only lived in Perth. Could you describe what your childhood was like as uh, a child in Perth in Western Australia? Yeah, well, it's pretty sunny here. So we spent a lot of time outside. Um, yeah, I loved, well, I don't know if I love sports, but my mum was very competitive, put me into a lot of sports, um, pretty much tried everything. So I was pretty active as a kid. Um, yeah. Now, as an active, outdoorsy kind of kid, um, did anyone ever give you any um, information or training on ticks and tick diseases? Definitely not. It is not something I had any idea about. Um, yeah, definitely not. So were you aware of ticks and do you recall ever having been bitten by a tick? Um, I wasn't aware of ticks. I honestly thought that ticks were the same thing as leeches. That's how much we don't get taught about them over here. Um, I wouldn't have known what to do if I got bitten by a tick. Definitely not. So let's, let's talk about um, your journey as a 13-year-old. As uh, can you share with our listeners what happened to you when you were 13 in your uh, tick disease journey? Yeah, so um, yeah, it wasn't until I was 13, oh, well, I still didn't know about um, Lyme disease or ticks or anything when I was 13, um, but I, yeah, looking back on my journey, um, I think that was the time that I was bitten by a tick. Um, I had all the symptoms of an initial, um, like, tick bite, I, uh, which is now um, referred to as, I think, that's rickettsia. Um, I had the rashes down my legs. I had the bite on the back of my calf with the bullseye rash. Um, I had the lumps under my arms and I had a fever um, with nausea and headaches and everything when I was um, visiting my sister in Cairns. Um, but yeah, it's only till now that I'm kind of linking that all together. So, yeah. So just so that I can uh, clarify some of that uh, for our listeners. So you are approximately 13 years old and um, you had some kind of a bug bite, which you recall resulting in you having a bullseye rash. Yes. And at the time I wasn't aware it was a bug bite. Um, the doctors told me that it was an infected boil, but it was something I'd never seen before. But obviously um, my mom took me to three doctors in that year and they all said it was just an infected boil and that my leg rashes were just from shaving and same with the lumps under my arm even though they were actually internal lumps they weren't external ones so yeah I don't know how they thought that was from shaving. So Olivia what triggered your mom to take you to the doctor what what was it about this uh this lump or boil or bite that um caused your mom to take you to the doctor? Um, I think because I was just talking about it a lot, um, it was there for quite a while and I'm pretty sure it hurt. It's hard to remember all the way back then, but, um, I assume there was definitely a reason why she kept taking me to different doctors. Um, the rashes on my legs were like nothing I'd seen before until I, um, looked into Rocky Mountain spotted fever and rickettsia diseases and seen, um, yeah, that other people have had the exact same reactions. Now, you said that your 
you and your mom went to see several doctors at that stage in your journey. Um, why did you go to see so many different doctors? Uh, I, I think my mom probably just felt like we weren't getting the answers that we were looking for at the time. Um, and then I had a few other symptoms around the same time pop up um, to do with my, my mood. Like I started developing anxiety and depression um, I failed one of those tests, or not failed, I was pretty high risk in the tests they do at the doctors for um, depression and anxiety. And I think that really worried my mum at the time. So she just wanted to get to the bottom of that. So you had what you now know to be a very traditional appearing rickettsia rash, as well as now neurological symptoms. You went to several doctors and no one was able to diagnose you with a tick disease. No, no, I don't, I definitely don't think it was even mentioned. Um, yeah, they don't believe in Lyme disease in Australia. The only one they do believe in is rickettsia, um, but still they failed to test for it or anything. The only test that they um, sent me for was for a staph infection, which it came back negative because it obviously wasn't that. So now how did... How did your symptoms develop and what impact did these symptoms have on your childhood? Uh, definitely. So, yeah, the depression and anxiety took a big toll on me because I, I was only at the start of high school and I guess I thought that it was because of something else. I didn't, I always thought that there was something else going on. I didn't really understand what was going on, really. Um, I didn't feel like I was in control of my like feelings and thoughts as much as I used to be. Um, I started to not attend school as much, I guess. I, I was up late at night worrying and um, I would sleep in and then I would not want to go to school. And I think for a while my mum thought I was just being a typical teenager. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until that lasted for a bit longer that I think um, we all started to worry. Now, what type of goals were you pursuing at that time in your life and how did these symptoms impact your pursuit of your goals? Uh, well, at that stage, I was only in year nine, so I didn't have too much of, um, I guess, goals set, but I just wanted to get through school, I suppose, so that I could go to university. I guess that was just what most kids did. So that was the goal um, at that stage. So your goal was to go to university, and what was it that you were planning to study when you went to university? At that stage, I, I didn't know. I def yeah, I didn't know at that stage. But um, as I went through school, I started having interest in nursing and, um, like, personal training. Um, but I think as it, probably in, when I was in year eight, I wanted to be a teacher more than anything, so a school teacher. So now share with us how your symptoms developed from the age of 13 until the time when you were finally diagnosed at the age of 24. I think the first symptoms, as I've already explained, were depression and anxiety and then fatigue. Um, and then I'd say those symptoms lingered for a while and then I started getting um, really bad digestive um, symptoms. I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome and 
Uh, I never got diagnosed with food allergies, but I just felt nauseous no matter what I was eating or if I, if I was hungry, I felt sick, I had like a burning feeling. Um, and then I developed reflux. Um, and then, yeah, it was a little while after that that I started getting really bad joint pain. Um, so I went and saw a physiotherapist um, and on the spot they diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um, because my my joints were so bendy that yeah I, I could do all the things that people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome could do so yeah they on the spot um, diagnosed me with that and gave me some exercises to do which never helped after that I actually moved to Melbourne um, for a little while because my Dad got sick with um, cancer and he had a few other issues. Um, so I moved over there and lived with my sister for a little while. Um, and it was while I was there that I was diagnosed with um, all the allergy and histamine issues. I started having more issues with my digestion. I remember crying myself to sleep a few times, just in so much pain and not knowing what was wrong. Um, and not long after that, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. I, yeah, I had a ultrasound and they found cysts or some sort of something on my ovaries. I, Olivia, real, real quick, Olivia, you mentioned that you were diagnosed earlier on with EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Can you yeah. describe for our listeners what that is? Because we found that it's a very common byproduct of Lyme disease where people get misdiagnosed or diagnosed with EDS before their ultimate Lyme disease diagnosis. Yeah, so um, I've got, I think it's like a stretch, you get stretchy skin, um, you get really sore joints um, and they're really flexible, but not in a, not in like a stretch, like it hurts in a sore kind of pain way. Like when you move your um, joints, it hurts, but they stretch quite far. Um, so I think they were the main things that I had when I was um, diagnosed with it, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not too sure what other things. Another thing, Olivia, is that we've noticed that you've described for us there were a lot of psychological symptoms you've had in addition to yeah. physical symptoms. And of course, you know now that the psychological symptoms are actually symptoms of Lyme disease. But were your doctors at any time thinking that your physical symptoms were just a result of psychological problems and just sort of dismissing you to the psychological realm and not addressing any sort of physical illness or bacterial infection like Lyme disease? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, majority of my issues were linked back to depression and anxiety. I didn't really, they didn't really ever look for anything else. Um, no matter how many times I went to the doctor, no matter how many times, um, or no matter how many new doctors I saw, um, yeah, they never looked into any sort of bacterial infection or, um, insect bite or anything like that. Um, it was always linked back to depression and anxiety causing all of my symptoms. Olivia, how did they link the allergies back to your depression and anxiety? Because you were developing allergies for, I think, environmental allergies and also food allergies. So what were your doctors saying about these out of the blue allergies that you developed? Uh, nothing. They, they, wouldn't, they didn't look into them. Um, I actually, I think I had one test done, which was a a blood test that they test you for allergies and it all came back fine. Um, but I've since discovered that that's not the way to test for allergies. There's a different way, um, which I never went down that path of figuring it out because at the time I didn't know. 
Um, but yeah, they they never really had an answer for those ones. Um, they just told me to take antihistamines every day. So I did that at the time. So you've already mentioned that you've seen a lot of different doctors and had a lot of different symptoms and pretty much every doctor just kind of resulted with, hey, these are all linked to your depression and anxiety because they couldn't figure out what was really wrong with you. So in total, before your Lyme diagnosis, about how many doctors do you think you had to see before you got your ultimate diagnosis? Yeah, so between um, the age of my symptoms starting and yeah, last year when I found um, my Lyme doctor, um, I think there was about 50 doctors, um, just general practitioners that I saw in that time trying to find out what was going on. Um, and that's not including like um, counsellors or psychologists or uh, chiropractors or anything like that. Were there any other diagnoses or misdiagnoses that you had before your Lyme diagnosis that you explored with doctors? Um, I think majority of them I have mentioned. The only other one, yeah, the only other ones are ones that recently happened since, um, since last year. Anything in the autoimmune world or, or is that not uh, the case for you in your journey? Uh, yeah, so I was diagnosed late last year with Hashimoto's autoimmune disease. Um, at first, I was diagnosed with postpartum thyroiditis. Um, I saw about three doctors after having my son and they all said that it would um, fix itself over time um, and it never did. So when I found my Lyme um, literate doctor, he did the test um, that no other doctor does for some reason and they found out that I had antibodies for Hashimoto's. Now, you, you, all of these things you're describing from our perspective are classic Lyme disease symptoms from the autoimmune disease to your psychological issues, to your allergies, to, to pretty much everything you've described. So throughout mm -hmm. the 50 plus doctors, not one of them in Australia ever mentioned a tick disease or Lyme disease. No, not one. And I can guarantee even if I took uh, my positive blood test results to a general pr practitioner here, they would tell me that I don't have Lyme. So Libby, talk to us about, about hormone issues that you've experienced and what role they may have played in other, in other things that have gone on in your life. Uh, yep. So I, I think I've struggled with hormone issues um, probably since around I was 14. Um, I, when I developed um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, yeah, I had really painful like cramps and everything. And um, after I was diagnosed with that, I went off the pill because it wasn't, um, I found out that it wasn't good for me and that it was probably causing some of the issues. Um, just trying to think. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, so Olivia, we, we, uh, from your pre-interview questionnaire, you had mentioned that you had a miscarriage and you believe that was linked to some hormonal issues that were the cause of Lyme disease. So looking back, do you think that all of these hormone imbalances you had were just sort of a byproduct or a result of your undiagnosed Lyme? Yes, I, I think they definitely had something to do with um, the hormone issues, like they triggered the hormone issues looking back. Um, and yeah, when I had the miscarriage, it was because my, um, my hormones were so out of whack 
um, which was linked back to PCOS, but I think PCOS was a symptom of my body um, not coping with the Lyme. And just to put this in perspective, so you were first sick when you were about 13, you're now mm -hmm. 25 and you just got diagnosed last year when you were 24. So you struggled for about 11 years seeing all of these doctors developing all of these conditions until you got your diagnosis, correct? Yeah, correct, yeah. And, and a positive note to your story is that fast forward after your first miscarriage, you successfully had a child, I, I believe a, uh, a baby boy, right? And he yep. is about what, one, year, one years old now? Uh, yeah, he just turned two. Um, and yeah, so about three months, oh, actually a month after my miscarriage, I decided to see a naturopath. Um, I think you have them there, but yeah, a natural um, alternative to a doctor. Uh, and that was when I first realised how much um, better their testing methods were. I finally had answers for all my hormone problems um, and I was put on some natural medication and within three months um like i had my first normal cycle and then i was pregnant that month um which i was told when i developed um polycystic ovarian syndrome that i wouldn't be able to have kids it was very unlikely that i'd be able to have kids so yeah and and olivia all of this was still pre-lyme diagnosis correct yeah do you recall what these these natural therapies your naturopath put you on that helped you normalize your cycle and be able to get pregnant and have a healthy young child? Yep. Um, one of them was to lower testosterone. Um, I can't quite remember the name, but it was all just natural herbs that um, she, yeah, she died. Um, sorry, she gave to me and yeah, they helped me more than anything ever has. And now it seems like this is relatively, this is about two years ago or so that you found this naturopath and started down this path. So now that you're doing a little bit better, what led you to your Lyme diagnosis and to another doctor to get a Lyme test since you were doing a little bit better? Uh, yep. So after, well, obviously then I fell pregnant. So during my pregnancy, um, I was not too bad. Um, I had really bad pelvis pain, probably from the joint issues. Um, and I vomited for 20 weeks straight, but I know a lot of people get that anyway. Um, and then, yeah, post having um, my son, we were both on antibiotics. Um, so I actually got worse before I got better um, around this stage. So I was fine um, just after I'd given birth. Um, we were both put on antibiotics um after labor because i had a fever during labor um so i felt fine for about three weeks after that um and then not too long after that i just started getting quite emotional again and um kind of having the same sort of symptoms that i'd had in the past um and i went to quite a few doctors at that stage they all diagnosed me with postpartum anxiety and depression and i told them that it felt, although it felt like that, I think something else is going on. Um, and then, yeah, not long after that, um, my dad passed away. So that was a hard thing to go through. And I think that was definitely a big trigger in um, the Lyme coming back, like my immune system, um, probably not handling it anymore. 
Um, Olivia, what, I want to explore one option with you because we recently explored this on our Instagram that there are certain medical biases where, where doctors will dismiss you because you're a woman potentially and dismiss it to being a mental health issue or because it's your hormonal and it's because of your pregnancy or it's just an emotional problem, whereas that doesn't happen as often with men. So do you feel that your, your gender in the Australian healthcare system had a role in you being dismissed for so long as just being a, a mental health problem rather than a real physical problem caused by bacteria and, and tick infections? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like majority of doctors kind of, yeah, just dismissed it all because I don't know if they thought I was trying to get attention or I was, you know, feeling lonely or something, but no one wants to be sitting in a doctor's office um, trying to figure out what's wrong with them because they're feeling so horrible. And yeah, I don't think doctors realize that. Another common theme is this, this invisible illness component that you can feel like you're dying on the inside, yet you look so good on the outside. And we've seen your photos, obviously, from your Instagram and, and creating promotional content for this podcast, and you look very healthy. You look healthy, you look great. And I think that's another thing that could be misleading for doctors to see you. You look, you look so healthy, but yet you feel so bad on the inside. Do you think that had a role as well, combined with the fact that you're young, you're a female, and they just said, there's no way she can be really sick. This has got to be a psychological issue. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just on that, I feel like because I did feel so horrible on the inside and I was in so much pain that probably the only thing that made me feel better was the way I presented myself. And looking back, I definitely felt like that was something that I fixated a lot of my energy into. So I think it probably would have made me seem like I was faking it or like I wasn't really that sick but you know it was what I had to do at the time to survive and it's what got me through. Right and, and oftentimes I think this is another great a great example where, where Lyme patients get very hard on themselves and blame themselves but really this is just this is a global problem where we need to have better awareness of, of tick diseases and we need to have doctors be more aware to recognize these signs especially in your case where all of your symptoms are classic neurological Lyme and regular Lyme disease symptoms. So, you know, based on that, moving forward, you know, you mentioned that now you had, you had, you had your child and your health started to decline and that sort of led you up into your Lyme disease diagnosis. So can you kind of lead us up to that point where you got diagnosed and what that was like for you? Yep. So, yeah. So after I started feeling off and then um, my dad passed away, I probably like hid the, um, the, grieving a little bit I just held it in and got on with it um, and it wasn't until um, later that year we moved into our first home um, we just built a new home and we had a leak in our um, house um, and about a month after that we had black and white mold um, growing through basically through and under the walls and on the carpet um, and at this stage, I, I actually still didn't know what Lyme or toxic mould was um, or the dangers of it. Um, and, yeah, it was after that that I got really, really sick. Um, I pretty much didn't leave the house. Um, I just got so, so sick that I started researching and I started um, looking at groups on Facebook. And that was what led me um, to my doctor. So he was actually he's a mould um, doctor, he understands toxic mold and chronic inflammatory response to mold. Um, so I went and saw him for that issue, um, and 
he did all the tests that he does for all of his patients. And that was when um, I did the CD57 test and it came back at 50, which is really low and it indicates that um, I was going through a chronic infection. Um, Olivia, can, can you talk more to us about the CD57 test? Because here in the United States, it's very controversial and many doctors won't even do it because they feel no matter what, it's not a, a proper indicator. However, many Lyme patients have used that as a tool to ultimately lead to their Lyme diagnosis. So how is that used in Australia to lead to a diagnosis of Lyme disease or any other condition versus here in the United States where it's not really commonly used? Uh, it's still controversial here. So most doctors won't order that test. Um, but my doctor, he believes that um, it's a good indicator of if something is from a chronic infection. Um, and in my case, it was, yeah, it was definitely helpful, helpful part of the puzzle because yeah, it was after that, that everything else kind of fell into place. So let's explore, explore that a little bit further. Now that you, you did the CD57 test, it had a, a result of, hey, there's definitely some sort of chronic infection going on here with Olivia. Did you get a, a clinical diagnosis of Lyme disease by your Lyme doctor or was there a test issued by your, by your, I'm sorry, by your mold doctor? Was there a test issued by your mold doctor to determine Lyme disease? Uh, yeah, so because Lyme isn't a thing in Australia, he's not even allowed to say the words Lyme, um, even throughout all of my, my journey with him, I think I've been seeing him for eight months now. He's just not even allowed to really bring it up because it's, yeah, they've been told they can lose their license over here if they treat people with Lyme. So he had to be quite discreet about it. And I actually found out through looking up what a CD57 test is. Um, and also when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I joined a group in Perth in Australia um, and people were talking about Lyme on there being a cause of Hashimoto's. And I kind of thought, oh, that's a bit strange. Um, and so I watched the documentary um, called Lyme Disease Australia, I think it is. Um, and I actually saw my doctor on there and I like pretty much burst into tears because watching that video, seeing everyone's experiences of Lyme and how long it took them for their diagnosis and all their symptoms um, along the way. It just, it really made me feel like this is definitely what's going on for me. And I just remember crying to my fiance saying, I think I have Lyme disease. And yeah, that was what made me realize it. And then from there, that's kind of when everything started going ahead with the testing, but it was still very discreet. So essentially, you came back with these alarming CD57 results. Your mold doctor never said Lyme, although she probably knew about it, but wasn't able to say it. You did your research, came to that conclusion on your own, and then brought it back to your doctor. But we do have to ask, because here in the States, a lot of these type of doctors, naturopaths and specialists like mold doctors are not covered by insurance. So how is that in Australia? Are these doctors considered specialists? Are they within what's covered by your insurance or are these all out of pocket payments to from your naturopath and now your, your mold doctor that you saw? Yep, so um, I'll just explain. So this doctor, he is a general practitioner, but he's called um, an integrative doctor. So um, he is covered by insurance, thankfully, but nothing else is. So he then referred me on to a naturopath 
um, a different one to the one I'd seen previously for my hormone issues. Um, but yeah, he referred me on to a naturopath and a homeopath. Um, so at one point I was seeing all three of them to try and figure out what was going on because yeah, it was kind of like they all couldn't do too much, especially the doctor. He, he had his hands tied. He couldn't go into it too much. So that's why he sent me to the homeopath and the naturopath. Do you, Olivia, do you believe that you're this, this general practitioner who specialized in mold and now you're naturopath and your other practitioners you were seeing thought line, but were fearful to even bring it up to you because of, of the risk of them losing their license? Because it sounds like this doctor was on one of the most popular Lyme documentaries in Australia talking about Lyme disease. You had all of the classic Lyme disease symptoms. You had the CD57 markers, yet he never even brought up Lyme disease to you. Yeah. So, because he had to use the words chronic infection because that's just um, the way things are in Australia. And unfortunately for me, um, that came into place last year or the year before. So it was around the same time that my symptoms got really bad from the toxic mold that... Um, that they weren't allowed to even explain these things anymore. So I was kind of stuck in limbo and yeah, he, he wasn't allowed to say anything and that's why he sent me off. And um, the homeopath told me straight away that I have Lyme disease. So that was, that was kind of the first time I heard it from a professional. And um, yeah, that was when I tested positive for the co-infections and Borrelia, which yeah, the main one. Now, this, this homeopathic doctor was after your CD57 markers and after you did the research to find Lyme on your own. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it was, yeah. And what testing did this homeopathic doctor do for the co-infections of Lyme and Lyme disease to get your positive uh, diagnostic testing? Yeah, uh, he uses a bioresonance testing method, um, which I thought I wasn't so sure about to begin with, but it was amazing what it picked up. It picked up all of my diagnosis that I've had previously. Um, it picked up allergies that I've had. It picked up the same mold that was tested in our house. It picked it up in my body. So I just, I really believed in what he was doing. Um, and then, yeah, it picked up all of the Lyme, um, the Lyme disease and the co-infections that I have. So Liv, we have to share with you that the first time we heard Rich and I about, about this bioresonance testing, for me, at least, it sounded so bizarre, and it was hard for me to really to fathom and grasp how this could be real, but we've mm -hmm. had so many podcast guests. We mentioned that you're our 115th guest, and many of them have used bioresonance as a, as a means of testing for Lyme and co-infections, and they've all said the same thing, that they were shocked at how accurate these tests are and how it picked up other things aside from Lyme, like you mentioned, allergies and, and whatever it may be and how it really helped them get the proper diagnosis and treatment that they needed. So you're not alone in that, in that regard. So for anybody listening, they should really explore that as an option, even if it sounds a little wacky because we were there, but now we're, we're firm believers in it as well, just like you. So a follow-up question to the mold is, you're, you were exposed to mold in your home. Was anybody else that you were living with experiencing symptoms from that mold exposure or was it just you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it was mainly me, um, but my son also, uh, he was only one at the time. And yeah, from we're looking into that at the moment, but he was definitely affected by it um, because we were both home more than um, my fiance. Uh, yeah, I think we were definitely more affected. And I also think because I have the underlying line that those two don't make a good mix. So 
yeah but yeah my son was definitely affected he was sick um all the time around that stage so on that note it sounds like because of your weakened immune system and just body as a whole that you were more susceptible to the lyme and you were home more than your fiance and as a result you were sick and he was not and you did mention that your son had some symptoms as well. So that sort of leads us to our next question of, of congenital Lyme or being able to pass Lyme disease onto your, your child during birth. Have you researched that at all? And what are your thoughts on congenital Lyme? Uh, yeah, so I obviously once I found out I had it, um, I didn't even think of it to begin with. I didn't think it would be possible. Um, but I think, yeah, it was along my research journey that I, oh no, it was my naturopath actually, sorry she um yeah she brought it up she said most people that she knows with Lyme um their whole family has it and yeah my heart sank because I just thought oh my gosh I don't want you know I don't want my son to go through this um and I felt bad because you know I wasn't aware of it before I was pregnant if, if I was aware of it I would have made sure I did everything I could to prevent it from happening um so yeah we are looking into that at the moment so let's explore further now that you finally have your diagnosis. And now it's not just Lyme, you have many co-infections as well. And I think one of them you mentioned was rickettsia and you had classic signs of that when you were much younger with those rashes that were dismissed as, as you know, razor bumps essentially. So now that you have this diagnosis of all of these different tick diseases, what was the plan and, and who developed that plan? Was it just your homeopathic doctor? Was it your homeopathic doctor working with your naturopath and your, your, your mole doctor who was your general practitioner? And how did you proceed? Uh, yeah, so so my doctor knew both uh, the homeopath and my naturopath, but they didn't work together. So uh, once I had my results from the homeopath um, and he made up some tinctures, I think they're called, um, to help my immune system um, fight off all the things that were going on. Um, once I had all of that, I took all of that to my naturopath. Um, because I had had experience with naturopaths in the past and I, I really like the way that they um, have a whole body approach. Um, so yeah, once um, I took all of that to her, she, she looked into all of that. And then she did her own further testing, which was um, the dark field microscopy, which is where they take some of your blood and they look through a microscope. Um, and yeah, it was the next time I saw her that she said, you definitely have Lyme. Um, I can see Borrelia and Rickettsia. And from there, yeah, she decided um, that I should do the Rickettsia blood testing because that's one blood test that they do in Australia. Um, and that was when I got the six, um, the six Rickettsia positive infections. And then from that stage, at that stage, I was already um, immune um, trying to boost my immune system because obviously they all knew that that was a major part. No matter what infection I had, they knew that my immune system was really struggling and that was, yeah, where they focused most of the attention on. And um, I was spending quite a lot of money on supplements and vitamins and all of that. And then, um, yeah, and then I think last month I um, took some antibiotics for the first time since being diagnosed. Olivia, going back to your bioresonance testing, can you describe for our listeners what, what that's like? So, you know, we, tr we traditionally understand what blood testing is like. We've all probably gone through that. But what is, what is this bioresonance testing like that was used to diagnose you initially? 
Uh, yep. So at the time I was struggling really badly neurologically. So I'll try and remember what the specifics of it, but I, it's a machine. It uses electrodes, um, to, um, actually not too sure how to explain it. It tests something in your body. It's like a reaction in your body to the electrodes. Um, and then from there it connects to, um, all these, kind of um, tinctures and then from that it makes up your own one which is yeah small parts of things that you've got and then it helps you boost your immune system so essentially it sort of tests various parts of your body to identify what support your body needs and it uses those results from that testing to identify what you have to then determine what proper herbal tinctures could be used to treat you at an individual level it sounds like yeah yeah so Olivia, a lot of these things that you did here in the States are not covered by insurance. A lot of the testing you did, a lot of the treatments you did. So what part of your testing and treatments were actually covered by your health insurance? Um, absolutely nothing except for, uh, luckily my general practitioner, doctor, he is on Medicare, which is our health system in Australia. Um, so I was lucky enough to see him. Um, through that but I have private health insurance and nothing was covered um, they took all natural remedies off private health insurance in Australia last year so pretty much if you want to go down that natural route you need to pay for everything up front if you had to estimate and this may be a hard question and it's fine if you can't answer it if you had to estimate how much money do you think you spent out of pocket on your Lyme treatment overall from the entirety of your illness from the time you were young up until the present date oh yeah it'd be quite a lot of money because um all the years that i was told it was just depression and anxiety i think i tried every single medication that there is available um and all my hormone issues i have tried every um thing that was available for that so I would have spent quite a lot of money over those years just trying to, um, yeah, cover those symptoms at the time. But since um, things got really bad late last year, I think I would have spent roughly five grand um, just on appointments and, um, yeah, vitamins and all that. So now let's talk about your treatment moving forward. So once you were given these herbal tinctures to start to boost your immune system and help your body recover and, and fight back against the Lyme and, and really restore your body. What was that like for you? Talk to us what it was like the first time you took this herbal tincture and how it developed over time. Um, yeah, I think because when I first started that, I was really at my, my lowest point, like rock bottom. I think that was when I was really, really struggling. So um, when I started taking yeah, the herbs, um, to see an improvement from them was pretty cool. Like I, I definitely saw an improvement in the first month of taking them, just little things. Um, it wasn't a huge improvement, but just little things. Um, and I, I didn't keep taking the tinctures because I then saw my naturopath and I just didn't want to be doing too many different things at once. Um, but definitely immune boosting is something that's really helped me. So you were on the tinctures for a short period of time and within the first month you started to see small results. 
then your naturopath sort of changed your, your treatment protocol and you pivoted to something else. So what was next after these herbal tinctures that got you a little bit of your health back? Uh, diet changes, that, that was a huge one. Um, when I first saw my naturopath, um, because of all of my symptoms and my history and all of that, um, she pretty much recommended I cut out majority of foods. Um, so I was having a pretty basic diet for a little while which I think actually added to my stress for a while but um, it definitely made me my other symptoms better like my digestive symptoms up symptoms sorry and fatigue and all of that um, and even it sounds weird but like my neurological inflammation and my um, my mood swings all of that seemed to get better um, when I changed my diet so yeah I definitely think diet was a huge thing for me so you, so when you went off the herbal tinctures, you just you primarily did a diet change with your naturopath at first. Was there was there anything else in parallel that you did in addition to your diet changes? Uh, yep. So I still um, I took a lot of vitamins at that point. Um, everything that I was deficient in, I was taking um, as well as other things that my naturopath has um, seen work with other uh, patients of hers. And yeah, that's all I've really done since then until I think. It was about March this year that I, I took doxycycline for a, a month. I'm going to back up a little bit before you get to the doxycycline and ask you about, you mentioned you had mood swings and a very common thing with people with chronic Lyme disease is Lyme rage. And we didn't really learn about this until the last couple of months because many people don't want to speak about it, but it is very, very common that people with Lyme disease develop this Lyme rage and they look back and go, say, say, I don't even know. It was like some, it wasn't even, it didn't seem like it was me. It just, it was like sort of like an out of body experience. So did you ever experience Lyme rage? And if so, can you describe for our listeners what it was like for them? Yeah. Um, I definitely um, experienced that all through um, school and even after school. Um, it's, it was like an uncontrollable snap of rage. Um, one minute you're fine and then something sets you off and yeah you just you don't seem like yourself anymore you you get angry and you can't control your emotions and then afterwards you just feel so upset that um it's happened because you have no idea what it was and um yeah like I mentioned before since changing my diet those have reduced dramatically so I definitely think things that I was um eating and causing inflammation in my brain and everything was causing them. Olivia, can you give us specific examples of what you did with your diet, what you eliminated and what you introduced to help your health? Yep. So the main things um, that I took out of my diet was um, dairy, gluten, soy and refined sugars. Uh, for a little while, I limited my meat um, just to see if I had the alpha gel gel alpha gel thing um but i don't think i have that so i've reintroduced meat um but yeah there were even vegetables um like spinach that were triggering triggering my inflammation um so things like that i don't have spinach anymore i have kale instead and eggs was a big one as well i can't have like more than one or two eggs a week um but yeah and the main, oh, also grains, I took grains out as well. So it's really important, and you're not the first guest to share with us that things that you generally think are healthy 
could make you worse, like spinach uh, or, or corn, for example. And now in, in the second phase of your treatment, so the first phase was a short period, uh, you know, one to several months of, was, was it one month that you were on these herbal tinctures or was it a several month period for the first phase? Yeah, about two months for that. And you mentioned you, you made some, some minor health improvements and then you went on to your diet changes uh, in the second phase with your naturopath. So how, how far would you say your health improved with these diet changes on top of the gains you've made from your, your herbal therapy? Yeah, um, I'd say they probably helped by about 20% to begin with. Um, I wasn't strict enough with them to begin with um, because I just struggled to find alternatives um, at the start, but it is like anything, it's a journey and I've perfected it now. I know exactly what to eat. Um, I still have moments where I wish that it was easier when I'm out and stuff with people when I go out um, to just eat whatever, but yeah, definitely because of how much it affects me when I do um, backtrack, I'm, I'm really strict with it now. And since I've been more strict with it, it's definitely improved. So now, now that you've, what I'll call step two of your healing journey, which was your diet changes, you then, what was next? What, did antibiotics come next or was, was there something in between your diet changes and the antibiotic therapy that you received recently? Uh, other than the vitamins and everything, there was nothing else before the antibiotics. Um, but I was offered intravenous, um, I think that's how you say it, um, antibiotics at one stage before we had my rickettsia um, positive blood test. Um, but I, that was, it scared me a little bit because it was three days in the doctors um, hooked up to this thing. And I think I would have had to have a, a pick line or a, or I would have had to be injected three times a week, which didn't sound too appealing. So I kind of skipped that um, and just stuck to, yeah, the natural side of things. And then that's when we, when we got the rickettsia positive, um, a naturopath and doctor said that doxycycline usually works really well with rickettsia infections. So that was, that was why we tried that. And throughout all of these steps, Olivia, you were using supplements as well to strengthen your body. So you were kind of doing that in parallel, it sounds like, along all of these three steps, right? Yeah, I was taking 20 to 30 pills a day. Can you give us an example of what some of these supplements were? Were they just purely vitamins? Were there any herbal supplements on top of your tinctures? And, and which ones you feel potentially work best for you? Yep. Uh, probiotics worked really well. Um, so I took a, like a gut, a gut brain probiotic, which, um, definitely helped. Um, I took all vitamins that I was deficient in, which was, well, they change all the time, but B12, just all B vitamins, really. Um, iron, vitamin D, I take quite a high dose, I think three to 4,000 IU of vitamin D, um, and then vitamin C pretty much all those type of things. And then I take a Lyme complex um, and a immune supplement every day. I also take a biofilm um, buster, which um, is because Borrelia likes to hide in cyst forms. So that kind of helps. Um, I was taking those when I was on the antibiotics to help the antibiotics actually get to the um, bacteria. 
You mentioned that this, this, this Lyme complex that you took. Can you talk to us more what that actually is, that, su that supplementation that you're doing for Lyme? Uh, it's just some, it's just a uh, bottle, like it's just really a tablet that um, is for, it's for Lyme. I'm not necessarily sure what it is, but it's for like, Lyme and co-infections. So moving forward now, you, you, you get the rickettsia positive diagnosis from the blood test and your doctors say that generally rickettsia responds well to doxycycline. So you add in doxycycline on top of your diet changes. Talk to us what that was like when you first started taking the antibiotics. Yep, I actually did miss something. Sorry, I'll just, um, I did start on thyroid medication just before the antibiotics. Um, and that seemed to make me feel better for about two weeks. And then that was when I decided to do the antibiotics. Um, so then I started those and within a week, um, I was so unwell. I pretty much didn't leave the house for, I mean, we were, we were all in isolation anyway, but I, I couldn't get off the couch most of the day. Like I felt like a horrible mum at this stage. I was so unwell. Um, I felt like I had um, like a really bad flu, but I wasn't sick. It was just um, from herxing. Um, so yeah, I continued the, the full dose, which was 30 days. And then I called my doctor and just said, like, I've been feeling horrible. Um, and that's when we decided to stop it for the time being. Did any of your doctors, your naturopath, your, your primary care physician, or any of your doctors tell you that you could potentially feel worse when you started the antibiotics due to herxing? Uh, yes, my naturopath did. Um, she, yeah, she definitely let me know, um, but I wasn't, I didn't think it would last like the whole month um, and neither did she. So when it was lasting that long, we just decided it wasn't the right time. So this was around March of this year and the full month of antibiotics, you were pretty much herxing that entire time. So when did the herxing stop and did you see any benefits from the antibiotics once the herxing subsided? Yep, so um, the herxine stopped pretty much within two days of stopping uh, the antibiotics and I'd say, yeah, I did improve a little bit the week after. Um, all my nausea went away from the herxine. Um, I still didn't have great energy levels, um, but one thing I noticed was my pain was a little bit less at that stage. Um, but then, yeah, it all came back within two to three weeks from then. So now this is fast forward to three weeks after your antibiotics. So I guess we're now in a, around April of, of this year, right? What, what did you do when your pain came back and you were, you were sort of having a backwards progress? What were your doctors doing with you at that point? Uh, so they took me off all of my medication. So I went off the thyroid medication. I'd already gone off the um, antibiotics and um, I, that stage I swapped a lot of my herbs over I think we did some more testing on my thyroid which um, seemed a little bit out still so um, that's still a bit unresolved at the moment kind of going over that at the moment still so this is this sort of leads us up until the current date where they they changed some your medication gave you different herbs and now they're sort of exploring your thyroid to see what's going on there 
So has there been any other, any other changes in your, in your treatment or your health since that time when your, when your body pain came back? Are you still experiencing that today? Um, or is that, has that improved a bit? Um, I'm still experiencing pretty bad. Um, yeah, and I'd say the fatigue and everything is still really bad. Uh, so it's definitely something that we're working on at the moment. Um, but it's, it's been hard with everything else going on at the moment to get to the bottom of it. But that's definitely what, yeah, our next plan is to see what's next after the antibiotics didn't work. So exploring some current events, Olivia, and the impact that it can have on your health, what is it like in Australia right now with this whole COVID crisis? And do you think that, that this health crisis is having a negative impact on your health potentially? It's affecting your, your mental health or, or any aspect of your worry and therefore weakening your immune system, making your symptoms worse? Um, yeah, I think so. I think because there's a few things, but because we're still living in the house with the mold, um, even though well, we've had it all remediated, but a house never goes back to what it was after that. So um, I think just being home more probably hasn't been that good for me. Um, even though I don't go out a lot, I don't do much, but I've, even at one stage, we just weren't even going to the shops because, you know, that they'd wor worried us so much about even going to the shops. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, being home a lot and just not getting out as much into the sun and everything. And then also, I think it's been hard on my mental health, just seeing people um, talk about how hard it is being home all the time and then thinking like that's literally been my life for the past year and just thinking, yeah, about that. So thinking back over your now 13-year journey, or I'm sorry, it was an 11-year journey, was there anything that helped you that you can recommend to our listeners for any of your specific Lyme symptoms? Did you do anything like CBD oil, or anything that you can recommend to people to help alleviate the symptoms while they're treating your Lyme disease? Um, do you mean since diagnosis or the whole? The, even the, the whole journey, because even before you were diagnosed, there may have been things you did that helped you feel better physically and emotionally that mm -hmm. could help other Lymeys that have a diagnosis, because ultimately those, those, those symptoms you had were likely the cause of Lyme disease, even though you didn't have it. I'm sorry, yeah. even though you didn't have the, the diagnosis yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I went to the gym a lot around that time um, because something that didn't affect me before the mold was um, the fatigue as much and the, the pain was bad, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. Um, so, I, yeah, I was quite active at the gym, um, mainly weights and everything to strengthen the, jo the joints and relieve pain with that. Um, I took baths, I went to the saunas um, and I did all of this just to try and feel better at the time. Um, but yeah, looking back, that would definitely help with Lyme. Um, and now I, yeah, at the moment, the only thing that helps at the moment is, yeah, Epsom salt baths. So now looking forward, what what are your next steps with your team of doctors? It sounds like you're still working with the three main doctors that have helped you. What is your plan moving forward? Do you have a plan or are you still waiting on test results? You know, and what, what do you see for yourself over the next few months in your healing journey? Uh, yeah, um, we want to do the testing for our whole family, um, the testing in Germany. 
I think it's the iGenics testing because um, it gives you a really thorough um, overview of the co-infections and everything that you have. Um, but we're just putting that off at the moment because um, like my doctor said, the treatment options in Australia won't change even if my results change. So um, yeah, at the moment, it's just constant doctor's appointments with me and my son um, just trying to rule, I guess for him, rule out everything before we go down the path of looking into Lyme for him and yeah for me it's just constantly changing um, vitamins and I might eventually um, yeah try IV antibiotics. One of the things we think is really incredible about your journey is despite you being in the middle of this long uh, illness um, both diagnostic and treatment journey you've begun to reach out to the larger community and shared your journey so what is it about your experience that's caused you to now want to reach out and help other people with their challenges? Um, because something that got me through was other people's experiences. Um, obviously not hearing about them because it was horrible to read them and everything, but just knowing that I wasn't alone, knowing that um, it wasn't all in my head and that there are other people with similar journeys to me. Um, I just, yeah, I want to be able to help other people with that because I don't want anyone to feel as horrible as I've felt over those years. So now you've talked with us about what has really sucked about your Lyme disease journey. Can you share with us what has been beautiful or what has changed you in a positive way since you've started this journey? Yeah, I think it's just opened my eyes to quite a lot of things, um, especially in the last year or so. Um, but it's just, it's good to um, understand like my body now and understand my triggers and um, just, I guess, taking the bad experience and making it into something good to help other people. The last question I'm going to ask you, and it's always the last question we ask our guests is, if God forbid tomorrow you woke up and you found a tick biting your son on his leg, what would you do to make sure that he wouldn't have to go on the terrible journey that you've gone on? Uh, yep, so I would remove it properly. I would send the tick off for testing um, because in Australia, that's a better way of finding out what um, bacteria it had rather than testing the actual person. Um, and then I would take him straight to our doctor um, and get him treatment straight away. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Olivia Nicholas. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Olivia Nicholas and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at livenaturalmama, L-I-V-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-M-U-M-M-A. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes or on our website. Thank you for listening.